everybody to this three rivers talk show here on the bethany online radio once again drew von sayo bringing you the latest with your pittsburgh steelers pittsburgh penguins pittsburgh pirates and more in a little bit of a condensed episode here this afternoon looking at the football side of things as rumors are starting to pick up around the league that Derek carr may in turn be the next starting quarterback for the new orleans saints of course has had at least one, if not two, visits down in New Orleans working with the coaching staff there for the Saints. And as a matter of fact, it was a two-day visit for Carr with the Saints. And this is going to be a great fit if it works out with Carr because, as I said already, Derek Carr was 100% scapegoated in Las Vegas. The only reason why Carr isn't going back to Vegas is because the organization does not want to be paying three coaches at once, so they're trying to save the job of Josh McDaniels. So Derek Carr in New Orleans would be a great fit and is going to have the opportunity to succeed because, as we've talked about already, the NFC South has a lot of questions right now at quarterback as far as each team in the league in that division i mean tampa bay no longer has brady carolina well they're carolina i mean you got sam darnold and that's supposed to scare anybody and then atlanta you've got desmond ritter so that division could be there for the taking if new orleans acts appropriately and swiftly by going out and bringing in Derek Carr. As I've said before, again, Derek Carr is 
a phenomenal quarterback. He has done very well in time, his time in Vegas, and he has the capability of taking things one step further in New Orleans. Now, the one area that does concern me a little bit with New Orleans is the weapons that Carr will have to throw to. Simply because right now, the Saints are about $60 million over the salary cap. And there's a lot of questions about Michael Thomas, his injury history, whether or not he's even going to be back next year because he has a cap hit of about $58 million. So just by getting rid of him alone, they could almost solve their cap overage issues. But then you remove Michael Thomas from the Saints depth chart at wide receiver. And there's not really a lot of names that stand out aside from Chris Olave. So it would be a matter of getting rid of Michael Thomas to get yourself close to being right at the cap. And then you have to turn around and supplement either in free agency or the draft with receivers surrounding Derek Carr because you can't just bring in Derek Carr and then not give him anybody to throw the ball to either. I mean, if quarterbacks, the best quarterbacks that you can think of didn't have a solid receiver to throw to, they wouldn't be who they are today. I mean, Tom Brady, you can look at several different names that he's had of great receivers to throw to, including Randy Moss, even as a tight end, Rob Gronkowski, Peyton Manning. He had Reggie Wayne in Indianapolis, Jim Montana, Jerry Rice. I mean, you could sit here all day and name off talented quarterbacks who have an elite receiver that also made them both look good. So in that aspect, Derek Carr would need supplemented. And we saw at times this past season in Vegas where Carr and Devontae Adams had that fantastic connection. And Carr looked great with an elite receiver in Devontae Adams. So now you're pulling Carr away from that environment. And this is not a slight on Chris Olave at all because Olave is just a rookie. He's got plenty of time to still develop and grow. He could possibly grow into that big wide receiver one. But in the meantime, until he gets to that point and the organization knows he has reached that point they have to go out and acquire talent to stockpile the wide receiver room and do so in a way that is going to bring out the best in him as a quarterback and everybody on the wide receiver staff so again i think this would be a great fit but the saints are going to be tiptoeing around things here. They're going to be working against the cap, trying to finagle different things to ensure they can bring in Carr. Ideally, they'd probably want to keep Michael Thomas, so they'll have to restructure his contract and maybe bring in another receiver to bolster that wide receiver room even more. And as I said already, I think if the Saints can go out and bring in Derek Carr. I know it's the end of middle to the end of February, but as of right now, 
if Derek Carr were to sign with the Saints tomorrow, he that team is automatically the favorite, in my opinion, to win the NFC South next year. Because he just he takes that team to an entirely different level, one that they never reached with Andy Dalton last year, one that they never reached in the entirety of Jameis Winston's time in New Orleans. And thank the Lord that the Steelers never were serious about bringing in Jameis Winston because he had about one good season in Tampa Bay, thought that he was going to have LASIK eye surgery to fix his turnover issues, and he's still not a good quarterback. And to think right now, Winston could be QB1 for the Steelers and that a lot of people pushed for Winston to be the Steelers quarterback after Big Ben is a nightmare that thankfully didn't come true. I know there's been times where I've been critical of Kenny Pickett and I was critical of Mitch Trubisky. But at this point, I would honestly be more inclined to have Mitch Trubisky over Jameis Winston simply because Trubisky had more than one good season with his old team in Chicago in comparison to Winston with the Bucs. And also the fact that even when Trubisky has struggled at times, he's not a turnover machine. Yeah, he'll have the bad game where he'll throw three, four picks maybe, but Mitch Trubisky has never even came close to throwing 30 picks in a season. And you can't say that about Jameis Winston because he did it. He is one of, if not the only quarterbacks in NFL history to throw 30 touchdown passes, 30-plus touchdown passes, and 30-plus interceptions in the same season. Okay, yeah, that's fine and dandy. He can throw 30-plus touchdown passes. But nobody wants a quarterback who throws at least 30 picks a year. And the fact that the Saints took a chance on him, okay, give him an opportunity to redeem himself. But they honestly should have cut ties with him a long time ago. If they want to keep Andy Dalton as a backup for Derek Carr, fine. Dalton has pretty much settled into the role of being a backup. If something were to happen to Carr, you know you have a quarterback who can go in there and win a few games. And then they're not going to even give Taysom Hill a shot because they like to use him to throw the ball, run the ball, pretty much do everything. Hell, they even use him on special teams. So the Saints are in a scenario where Derek Carr is realistically, unless they're going to make the major move and shock the world with Aaron Rodgers, then Derek Carr is their next best option if they want to take this team that they have with a very solid defense and a solid offensive and defensive line and go out there and win the NFC South and try to get themselves back to the Super Bowl. Derek Carr is their best option. Now, speaking on recent news around the NFL, this was released within the last 24 hours from Greg Giannotti of CBS Sports Network. So keep this in mind that, again, this is just a rumor, but, I mean, it it pertains to the Steelers, so we got to talk about it. When 
the Steelers played the Jets. And, of course, everybody knows the story. Trubisky started the game. Pickett came in for the second half and never lost the job aside from when he was hurt. Greg Giannotti reporting that in the halftime interval in which there was a little bit of a mix-up or dust-up, I guess you should call it, with Deontay Johnson and Mitch Trubisky, Deontay Johnson allegedly punched Mitch Trubisky in the face because he was not getting the ball enough in their mat in that matchup and was unhappy about his number of targets leading up to that game and the Jets game was simply a boiling point for Deontay Johnson. Now mind you, Giannotti said this over CBS Sports Network in a show that he is a part of with Boomer Esiason. So now there's a whole different complexity to this. The fact that it's on CBS Sports Network, when you look at who he co-hosts the show with in a very credentialed and talented host in Boomer Esiason, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding this report. First of all, why is it just coming out now? Is it because there's speculation that Trubisky might be cut? Is that why this is all coming out now? Is this coming out because Deontay Johnson might be trying to force his way out of Pittsburgh? I mean, there's nothing saying that Johnson wants that, but I mean, we know the Steelers can draft receivers very well and if the salary cap may be an issue then there's could always be an opportunity to move on from johnson again nothing is official with that yet it's simply speculation at this point but that's my first question with this why is this just coming out now of course we knew that there was a major disagreement between trubisky and johnson in the locker room and Despite what Mike Tomlin says, it obviously made had an impact had an impact on the decision to go to Kenny Pickett. Tomlin will swear by the fact that he just wanted to give the team a spark and felt like going with Pickett was the best way to do so. But we know all too well that the altercation between Trubisky and Johnson had something, if not all of the reason why that was the case. So then. The next question for me, as far as this report, if Johnson was the one who punched Trubisky in the face, why was it Trubisky who got benched? You're going to bench the dude who just got punched because Deontay Johnson wasn't getting the ball enough? If anything, it would be Johnson who would be getting benched for behaving that way. So... I don't necessarily know for sure if there is any legitimacy to this report. I would like to hope, and again, my standards for the Steelers have unfortunately gone down given the way that things have gone as of late over the past few seasons, the way certain things have been handled, particularly when you look at clowns like AB and how much 
BS Tomlin put up with before the team finally decided to trade him. I would like to hope that if this report is true, that the Steelers would have punished Deontay Johnson in some way. Now, of course, immediately Deontay Johnson came out and denied it. Mitch Trubisky coming out and denying it as well, saying that there was no truth to that report. But my question becomes then, where does where does this information come from? And obviously, Greg Giannotti had a reliable source relay this information to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have went on CBS Sports Network to say it when he's hosting a show with Boomer Esiason. So somebody's obviously lying here. Is it Giannotti? Is it his source? Or is it Trubisky and Johnson? Because the thing is, Johnson nor Trubisky are ever going to come right out and say, oh, yeah, I punched Trubisky. Or Trubisky's not going to come out and say, yeah, Johnson punched me. Because if that came out, first of all, reporters would run away with it for weeks, and you would never hear anything about the Steelers besides that. And second of all, that would cause... In the case of Trubisky, that would cause him to lose any potential trade value if the Steelers were to trade him. If they wanted to release him, it would cause Trubisky to lose any value on the free agent market because nobody's going to want to sign a quarterback who gets punched in the face by a receiver. And for Deontay Johnson, in his case, then if he was lying about this and it actually did happen he's not going to want himself to be seen in a negative light he's not going to want Steelers players in the locker room to essentially be scared of him because let's just say he did punch Trubisky what's stopping him from punching anybody else I mean that is where this scenario is. And of course, there's still a lot to unfold. Those who are affected negatively by this report are always going to come out and deny it. Giannotti will take the criticism and he will stand by his report because he's going to trust the source that gave it to him. Whether you want to believe this story, whether you want to take it with a grain of salt, I mean, there's a lot of ways around it. Now, personally, I know Deontay Johnson was frustrated at times this season with his number of targets. And there were scenarios where George Pickens was frustrated with the number of targets he got. But I don't see either of them reaching the point of punching their quarterback. Even if they didn't get along well with Trubisky. Or maybe they don't have the best relationship quite yet with Kenny Pickett. They're not going to turn around and punch their quarterback. Especially in the locker room when all of their teammates are there to see it. I mean, the way that this is being presented as if they're trying to compare Deontay Johnson somehow to Antonio Brown with his antics and the way he behaves. And I know... 
like I said, Johnson and Pickens have both complained and vocalized publicly their concerns about not getting the ball much. That's one thing. Punching your quarterback is a whole nother ball game. So for me, until I hear more about this, until some truth and more people are going to report this story, I'm simply just going to take it with a grain of salt. But it's a talking point. It needed to be discussed. And that's in part why it's being shared right here on the Three Rivers Talk Show. Step aside for a few minutes. When we return, looking at pit basketball as the Panthers' momentum continues to roll along with some recent comments, both good and bad, from ACC coaches right here on the Bethany Online Radio.
and we're back here on the Three Rivers Talk Show looking at Pitt Panthers basketball as their momentum continues to work out in their favor, picking up a huge win Tuesday night at home against Louisville, 91-57. Panthers completing the regular season sweep over the Cardinals. Didn't really expect anything different. Maybe didn't necessarily expect Pitt to win that game by 34, but alas, it happened. So now the Panthers see themselves in a three-way tie for first place in the ACC with Clemson and eighth-ranked Virginia. Now, this is something that nobody saw coming with the Pitt Panthers. I mean, they were... They were selected to finish towards the bottom of the ACC preseason rankings. Nobody expected them to even be a 500 team, much less in a three-way tie first place for the ACC. So again, that's all a credit to Coach Capel for building this team through the transfer portal and everything that him and his coaching staff have done to get this team to where it needs to be and back in a position to be extremely successful and get Pitt back in the NCAA tournament like they should be. And this is something that was echoed by Louisville head coach Kenny Payne after the game against Pitt. And Coach Payne came right out and said, and I quote, I'm just here to tell you that probably the most complete and toughest team that we've faced in the conference this year is Pittsburgh. They're tough. They have fight. They can score in a multitude of ways, share the ball, and talk on defense. I mean, I know... Louisville season isn't going the way they want it to, seeing as they have an overall record of 3-21, and just 1-12 and in the ACC. But for Coach Payne to come right out and say that is an incredible, absolutely incredible praise for this Pitt basketball program to say they are the most complete team in the ACC is something that needs to be gaining a little bit more attention nationally. And I've said this every week. The fact that the Panthers are still not ranked, it's criminal. I mean, you've got Virginia, who's ranked eighth. That is 18-4 and four overall, 10-3 and three in the ACC. You've got Clemson who's also unranked, 18 and 6 overall, 10 and 3 in the ACC, and Pitt 17 and 7 overall, 10 and 3 ACC. Those are the three teams right now in that three-way tie, what their overall records are and conference records. UVA only team that's ranked. The three teams below the two teams I should say below UVA, Miami and NC State are currently ranked 19th for Miami, 22nd for NC State. And 
you mean to tell me that those teams deserve to be ranked over Pitt when Pitt only got 26 votes to be in the top 25? How does Pitt only get 26 votes? How does Clemson only get 31 votes? Those are two of the best teams in a Power 5 conference. And for them to not be in the rankings in place of Miami and NC State, it's embarrassing. I get Miami and NC State are great teams. I know they will make deep runs in the ACC tournament, more than likely will be involved in March Madness. But for them to be ranked over Pitt when, and even Clemson, when they have the same conference record as number eight Virginia, who is an incredible team at that, is just absurd. And again, it's what I was talking about yesterday, last week, I should say, as to why the college ranking system is at times a joke. I mean, how many more games does Pitt need to win before they get nationally ranked? And Clemson couldn't make that same argument. How many more games does Clemson need to win before they get nationally ranked? I mean, does Pitt have to be the ACC regular champs to get ranked right before the ACC tournament? I mean, what is it going to take? I know that this is a team that was slept on. If this was November, okay, they win a few games. Yeah, don't rank them then. But we are approaching the end of February, a team that is tied for first in a Power 5 conference absolutely needs to be ranked. Pitt fans have every reason to be frustrated. Clemson fans, just as much. And that's even with the fact that Pitt beat Clemson. So, rather, Clemson beat Pitt. So Clemson has even more of an argument. It was a thrilling 75-74 Clemson win, mind you. So Pitt hung right there with them. So you have two talented programs that are just receiving votes. That's ridiculous. And while we're on the subject of the ACC, recently Syracuse coach Jim Boheme was in a press conference. And was asked about various teams in the ACC. And immediately starts ripping on teams utilizing the transfer portal and essentially buying their team. Now, obviously, NIL changing the way the collegiate athletics work, the whole landscape. But... For him to make that comment without any clear and distinct evidence is wild. And not only did he make that comment, the first team out of his mouth after referencing buying a team was Pitt. Like, my question is, Coach Boheme, have you been paying attention to ACC basketball in the last five to seven years? Pitt has been awful. Where are they going to get the money from to buy a team even if they wanted to? That money doesn't exist to buy a team. They're not going to have 
millions of NIL dollars. It's not like we're talking about Alabama football having those millions of dollars to use NIL to buy a team. No, this was Coach Capel going into the transfer portal, knowing that he needed X number of players at these positions, going out and bringing in guys who were looking for a new home and putting them together successfully. And then, of course, in the coming days, Coach Boheen coming out and apologizing, saying that he didn't mean to include Pitt, that Coach Capel did things the right way. Yeah, okay. You you really expect anybody to buy that apology when Pitt was the first team out of your mouth after saying that ACC teams have gone out of their way to buy their team. Nobody's going to believe that. Everybody knows how you really feel. And quite honestly, it seems as if you're just a sore loser because now Pitt's at the top of the ACC. You're hanging around in the middle of the pack, barely five, barely above 500 in conference play. And also the fact that Pitt beat you on your home court. So there's even more reason for you to be salty. And that's exactly what this is a case of. Because, like I said, Coach Capel went into the portal, worked his magic, convinced players to join a team because he was starting to get towards the hot seat if he wasn't there already, Coach Capel. And he knew that things had to turn around quickly or else he would be out of a job. And he has done exactly that. And like I've said before, at this point, all he needs to worry about now is keeping these guys around for next year and years to come so that they can add on and continue to build to this current team. Because as of right now, Pitt cannot and is not in a situation where they can deal with having one good year and then going back to the way things were previously. So for that comment to be made about Pitt, knowing how well Coach Capel worked his tail off in the transfer portal is quite ridiculous and honestly absurd to make that claim. And the fact that on February 25th, so two weeks from tomorrow, Syracuse comes to town and plays at Pitt, Coach Boheme will 100% deserve any and all comments from Pitt students made towards him about his words about with Pitt buying a program. I mean, you can't make a comment like that and not expect to receive backlash. That's absurd. And let me remind you all as well, Coach Boheme has been the guy who will be doing a press conference. A student reporter at Syracuse will ask him a legitimate question. And he, Coach Boheme will not even answer the question, look that student reporter in the eyes and say, that was a stupid question, and harass them for asking a question that he feels is below his pay grade to answer. First of all, 
you got to realize, I mean, they're student reporters for a reason. They're learning, figuring out what are the right questions to ask. Second of all, you were doing a press conference, and a question that was asked by a student reporter could very well have been worded similarly, if not identically, to a question asked by an already established reporter. Are you going to be a jerk and harass an established reporter, or are you just trying to use your authority over a college student because you think it makes yourself look good? And if you're up at that podium or at that table doing a press conference, no question that is asked is below your pay grade. Part of the reason why you get paid the way you do is to sit there at press conferences and answer questions, whether they be praising your team or whether they be criticizing one of the worst aspects of your team. So there is absolutely no remorse from me about the fact that Syracuse is barely above 500 right now in the ACC. And after Coach Bohem made a comment like that, I really hope that this game in Pittsburgh on February 25th is a much more of a blowout than it was when they played in Syracuse. And I hope that the Panthers send the orange to Syracuse and back. That's how bad that they should beat them in two weeks' time. And maybe then, when Pitt beats the brakes off of Syracuse, Maybe at that point we can have another conversation about Pitt finally being ranked. But again, I'm not holding my breath. It'll take Pitt It'll take Pitt getting into the NCAA tournament for them to finally rank them. And then they'll lose in either the first or second round, arguably to number one ranked Purdue in the country. And then that'll be the justification about why they get pulling out of the top 25. Well, they lost to Purdue. Yeah, and so did 99% of any other college basketball teams what's your point i mean at this point i'm surprised that the team hasn't used it as a rallying cry already but it's a matter of everybody versus pit and the panthers if people want to keep sleeping on them people want to keep downplaying them their ability to go out there win basketball games let them put up the results go out there keep stringing wins together and when everybody wants to act surprised about where this team came from, those who've been following over the course of this entire season will be right there to say, I told you so. We'll step aside here on the Three Rivers Talk Show for a brief moment. When we return, Pittsburgh Penguins hockey as a possible momentum swing has came about for the Penguins after their most recent and rather shocking result. Some trade deadline talk as teams in the Metro start to make moves, along with games in hand being key for the Penguins right here on the Three Rivers Talk Show.
back here on the Three Rivers Talk Show looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins. A little bit of a momentum swing, hopefully in the works, after their first win after the All-Star break. A 2-1 overtime victory at home against the Colorado Avalanche. Now, if you had told me this time last week that... The Penguins were going to go out there and beat the Avalanche. I would have looked at you like you were stupid. Because nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people expected this result to happen. And the fact that the Penguins pulled it off is quite honestly a miracle. They were outshot. And still managed to pull off a victory. Casey DeSmith arguably having the best game of his season, one of, if not the best game of his career. And at times I have been extremely critical of DeSmith. I still don't believe that he is the best option for the Penguins moving forward as a replacement for Tristan Jari when he's hurt or even as the Penguins backup. But he stood on his head Tuesday night, so I give him praise for that. But this is the game that the Penguins will look back on if things go well this season and utilize as a way of saying we turned the momentum, we got through it, the rough times, and now this is when we righted the wrongs. Because that is an absolutely huge win against the defending Stanley Cup champions. Yes, it's on your home ice. Yes, you were outshot, but you still pulled it off. A win's a win. You got the two points. But the Penguins now have the opportunity to take advantage of their schedule. They've got three games out west against Anaheim, the LA Kings, and San Jose, which, quote-unquote, should be Games that they can win, especially Anaheim and San Jose. L.A. is going to be the toughest of the three. So out of a possible six points, we'll see this time next week how many of those six the Penguins actually manage to get. As of right now, I'm going to take a guess and say that they get four of six points. But I hope I'm wrong and that it's more than that. So, fortunately for the Penguins as well, they have games in hand in regards to the standings. They are just a point behind the Capitals and have played three less games. They have played five less games than the Islanders, who they are tied with points for at 59. Played four less games than Florida, who is a point behind them. So, and then, of course, there's Buffalo, also played 50 games, three points behind the Pens. So, realistically, most teams in the NHL have played about 51, 52 games to this point. 50, that 51, 52, that seems to be the most common number of games played to this point. So, even if you say 52, the Penguins split those games those, those results, they get two more points. 
they would still have games in hand over Capitals, Islanders, Panthers, and would be the first wild card team. If the Penguins cannot make it into the top three of the Metropolitan Division and take on another Metropolitan team or by some ungodly chance winning the Metro and playing a wild card team, they need to ensure that they are the first wild card team. I would much rather, not that I would be a whole lot more comfortable with it, but I would much rather the Penguins go to Carolina in the first round of the playoffs than Boston. If the Penguins go to Boston, they are losing in a maximum of five games, more than likely getting swept. If they go to Carolina, there's a chance they could push it to, there's a chance they could push it to six. There's a chance they could, if they get lucky and things go their way, they could force a game seven against Carolina. If they are second or third, whether they play the Devils or the Rangers, they could go to seven with the Devils. They could go to seven with the Rangers. You're not going to six, much less seven, with Boston. Boston is arguably, not even arguably, without a doubt, the favorite right now to win the Stanley Cup. All I'm going to say is if you place a bet on the Bruins winning the Stanley Cup, don't try and come back at me if they don't. Just because I say they're the favorites doesn't mean they're the favorites in Vegas. Or that it'll actually happen. So knowing that the Penguins have these games in hand, knowing that they have that momentum swing from the win against Colorado, this road trip out west is big, starting tonight against Anaheim. The Penguins have to find a way to go out there and take care of business on this road trip. They have to find a way to keep that momentum going. The worst thing possible right now for the Penguins would be going out west, losing all three games, and having absolutely no momentum after after Tuesday night's victory. And it's already been confirmed 35 minutes ago that this Smith is in goal tonight against Anaheim, which is rather surprising. Not because, again, DeSmith didn't play well Tuesday night because he absolutely did. Arguably one of the reasons why the Penguins were even in a position to win that game. But L.A. is the much better team than Anaheim, which raises a question. Is it possible to see Tristan that we see Tristan Jari tomorrow night against L.A.? Because, and I know there's times where Mike Sullivan doesn't necessarily think this way, and he doesn't look at which team's the better opponent as far as who he plays in which game. But I would not, if, if Jari was not an option for tomorrow night, I don't see I don't see DeSmith playing today because you would want your best goaltender against the toughest opponent. So if Jari wasn't a possibility to come back tomorrow, they would be starting to Tokarski tonight and they'd play DeSmith tomorrow. And Danny Shirey of DK Pittsburgh Sports reporting an hour ago that Jari was on the ice for the morning skate. So they're probably not again, they're not starting him tonight. They're more it's an opportunity for him to play tomorrow 
if I would, if I had to take a guess, I would say they're going to start Jari tomorrow night. They'll probably go with the Smith in San Jose next Tuesday, and then when they return home, they'll give Jari the load again to take over as the workhorse, kind of ease him back into the swing of things, especially with this Smith buying himself a little bit of time after the way he played against Colorado. Now, speaking of time, the Penguins don't have much time to go out there and make a move. I know I've talked about the games in hand. I know I've talked about using the Colorado win as momentum swing. But the Penguins have to, and Ron Hextall especially, have to find a way to make this current team better. When you see the New York Rangers go out yesterday and acquire Vladimir Tarasenko, something has to be done with the Penguins, whether it be upgrading the bottom six, whether it being going out and adding to the top six and then sliding players down, something has to be done for the Penguins because you cannot keep this same squad out there, see the Rangers bring in Tarasenko and think everything's just going to be okay and that the Penguins stand a shot of competing. They don't stand much of a chance of competing now before the Rangers brought in Tarasenko, much less now. And the Devils are probably going to add at the deadline. The Hurricanes are probably going to add at the deadline. So the Penguins have to find a way to go out there, whether it's bringing in Adam Henrique from Anaheim, if you can get Boone Jenner from Columbus as bottom six forwards, you have to go out and bring in somebody. You have to shed your current salary. You have to find a way to go out there and make a move because you can't keep this same roster of players and expect it to just magically click at some point. Tuesday night was good, but don't expect that to be the fairy tale and it be this happy ending that magically turned things around in a complete 180. The Penguins aren't going to go from being a below 500 team the past two months to being the best team in the league down the stretch simply because of that win against Colorado. So the Penguins really have to focus on adding at the deadline. And of course, they'll get Jan Ruta back soon on their defensive pairings. And that could even be, in a way, a bit of an upgrade there around the trade deadline. You bring in Jan Ruda, you're not forced to play either Ruedel or Friedman every night. So that's something that the Penguins will have the luxury of as well. Keeping P.O. Joseph in the lineup is important. And speaking of P.O. Joseph, there are a lot of rumors, I'll call them that, trade speculations of Penguins fans wanting to go out and bring in Timo Meyer from San Jose. First of all, let me just say this. There's 32 teams in the NHL. One team right now has Timo Meyer on their roster. The other 31 teams would all want Timo Meyer on their roster. That is 100% a fact. And all of these trade speculations 
are showing the Penguins give up a first-round pick, giving up P.O. Joseph, and more. And have the opportunity to bring in Timo Meyer. How are you going to be that aggressive for one player? I understand Timo Meyer would really make this team a cup contender. But at the same time, are you really going to give up an arm and a leg for one guy? I mean, it doesn't make sense. If the Penguins were in a scenario where they're leading the division, it might make a little bit more sense. But if you want to trade the first-round pick, fine. Trade the first-round pick. But you can't give up P.O. Joseph. He has just finally turned the corner. If there was any time to deal P.O. Joseph, it was in the offseason when they were uncertain of whether or not he would even make the NHL roster. That was the time to deal P.O. Joseph. Now is not the time. He's settled in. He's an established member of this Penguins defensive core, and you have to find a way to get things done. Making smaller moves to fill more needs is going to be the strategy for the Penguins because their top six is comparable to anyone's in the league right now. Gensel, Sid, Raquel, Zucker, Malkin, Rust. That top six competes with any top six. It's filling in the bottom six because that's atrocious for the Penguins right now. It's maybe bringing in another defenseman or at the very least getting a healthy Jan Ruda so that the Penguins' defensive core is even more steady. If you can find a goaltender on the market that you think would be an upgrade over Casey DeSmith, you go out and bring him in. That's what you've got to do. And Ron Hextall, you're running out of time, my guy. I mean, it's a matter of getting things done sooner rather than later. The NHL trade deadline is March 3rd. So he's got a little bit of time, but not a whole lot. You're looking at three weeks from today as the trade deadline. It's put up or shut up time. And Ron Hextall, you need to put up or simply shut up and get out of Pittsburgh. That's the bottom line. Step aside once again on the Three Rivers Talk Show. When we return, the segment you've all been waiting for, Super Bowl Preview, coming up right here on the Bethany Online Radio. Just know it, and he's holding her in his arms lately. 
and we're back here on the Three Rivers Talk Show. One final segment, the Super Bowl preview here on the Bethany Online Radio. Joined once again in the studio by Dylan Bazika. And Dylan, the moment we've all been waiting for, Super Bowl Sunday in about 48 hours. Yeah, finally, man. I'm so excited for a Super Bowl Sunday. This NFL season has just absolutely flown by. And I can't believe it's about to be over. We're going to have no more NFL football until, until August. August. Yeah. So, I mean, got a great matchup. The best two teams out of each conference, Chiefs coming out the AFC and the Eagles coming out the NFC. And I'm looking forward to this game. It's going to be one, probably one of the best Super Bowls in recent memory. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got, like you said, two highly powered offenses, great defenses. I mean, this is the matchup that everybody, if you looked at the bracket when the playoffs started, this was the matchup everybody wanted to see. Oh, oh yeah, most definitely. And this is something that is an opportunity for both young quarterbacks and Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. Mahomes looking for Super Bowl ring number two. Hurts looking for his first. And you've got a prime opportunity to do it. I think there's a case for both of these teams to go out there and arguably win it all. So I think it's just a matter of both teams executing well and avoiding stupid penalties. I mean, we saw in the AFC Championship penalties making a difference maker. And, Dylan, you almost have to think both of these teams are going to have, especially Kansas City, make note of that and inform their guys, you know, like, you've got to be more disciplined than ever before. Oh, yeah, definitely, especially because um, uh, if you saw the officiating crew that's doing the game, you're talking about discipline and everything, you're gonna have to, that's going to have to be on full display for both teams because the cr- crew that is doing the Super Bowl for the last two years have been known for throwing the most flags. They've averaged about 23 flags a game. Wow. 23 flags a game. So, yeah, they're gonna both Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni are gonna have to emphasize on that. And try not to get their players to foul as much. But I mean, besides that, I mean, I mean, both teams are doing great prep work so far. I mean, they got Super Bowl media day going on the last couple of days, and so I mean, Super Bowl media day to me is just it's just a joke, honestly. Like with some of the questions that are going on, like some some person asks Nick Sirianni, "Which player would you not want to date your daughter?" His daughter's five years old. Are you serious? I swear to God, I swear to God, you can go look at it. This reporter, I don't even want to look at it. That's that just is ridiculous. That is terrible. That is terrible. I know I was talking earlier about like with Syracuse basketball and student reporters asking questions that were resulting in them getting harassed. I mean, realistically, come on. We're in That's the Super professional, Bowl. Professionals yeah. asking them this. We're in the Super Bowl, and you're asking a coach which player you wouldn't let date his five-year-old daughter. First of all, that is about as predatory as it gets. It's pretty bad. But I don't think the reporter knew his daughter. I knew. I think he just knew Sirianni had a daughter, but didn't know what age or anything. Shouldn't you but look that up before think, yeah, you ask a think, question yeah. of it like that? I mean, heck, that, I mean, that reporter alone was asking, like, just like little, like, stupid, like, little questions like that. There was this one, um, this little girl, I can't think of her name. 
it was on the NFL's Instagram. She was interviewing Aaron Jones. She was giving Aaron Jones better questions than half the professional reporters were giving the players. I mean, that reporter's question is about as bad as the reporter from Tampa Bay trying to bait Todd Bowles into yeah. answers pertaining to him and Tomlin being two black coaches mm-hmm. and going against each other. I mean, that is about as stupid as they come. Because I know, like, Super Media, I know some of the players were even saying, like, why do we even do this? Like, that's one day we take out of our practice schedule to yeah. come and do this. And you're going to get asked a question like that? Stu- super little stuff like that. And, and then they asked Sirianni, one of the questions was like, um, it was like, is this game a must-win for you guys? I'm like, really? Like, what do you think, dude? It's the Super Bowl. I mean, I'd like to hope any team has a must-win approach yeah, when it comes Super to the Super Bowl. Bowl. I mean, come on now, game of the year. Yeah. It's not like, oh, it's preseason. But, no, the Super Bowl, and you're going to ask if it's a must-win. Must-win. What's the point of getting there if you're not going to win? But they were asking Andy Reid some funny questions. They were asking him something like, they're like, so what kind of coffee do you take tomorrow? And he goes, oh, I did see that one. Oh, I, didn't, I don't drink no coffee. He's like, I'm pretty active for a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty so, alert for a chubby guy yeah, or something like that. Guy, yeah. I remember that. Andy Reid, I love it. I mean, he Reed. buys into all of those memes. You see the pictures of him, like, holding the play calling sheet up to his mouth, and somebody photoshops the play calling sheet in a Burger King menu and everything <laughs> like that. I mean, he buys into it. He knows it's all in good fun, and oh, yeah. everybody respects him. He's a great coach. I mean, what more could you ask for? But you were talking a little bit before we came on the air about a little bit of a flu bug going around the Chiefs camp. Yeah, I mean, according to Tom Pellet. Yeah, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, and James Palmer reported that they were talking to Chris Jones, and Chris Jones said he's a little bit under the weather, got a sore throat and congestion, and a couple other Chief players. They didn't. They just said a few Chief players. I know Mahomes ended up saying he got like a little sore throat or something and under the weather. So it's going to be interesting to see how they will be Sunday, because if they ain't like hundred percent. I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, that's good. that could dramatic. It could affect the game dramatically. Oh yeah. I mean, first and foremost, this isn't going to stop them from playing. Oh no, no, no. This flu bug. I think stopping them from playing. I mean, they have another forty-eight hours to get like mm-hmm. the. Med- I mean, they're probably already got a crap ton of medicine in them. Oh yeah, fluids, everything fluids, like everything. that. Yeah. So I think they'll be they'll be completely fine. They'll be fine. But I just saw mm-hmm. that. It was interesting. I was like, oh, I was like, so a couple of them chief players don't seem one hundred percent. I know you got the flu bug. <laughs> yeah, but at the same t- and at the same time, though, I mean, heading into the AFC Championship, they said Mahomes wasn't fully healthy because of his ankle. His ankle. That and, ankle said he's. He said he was about like ninety percent. Yeah, and he went out there and had a phenomenal game against the Bengals. So, unless until I see something that shows the Bengals or not, the Bengals Chiefs game was a fluke, and that Mahomes isn't good at playing when he's not 100%, I'm going to still go out there and believe that Mahomes is going to be playing at his absolute best. And the same goes for Chris Jones as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, I mean, Chris Jones is going to have, have to play a game like he played against Cincinnati yeah. in order to deliver a, su- a second Super Bowl in four years to the Chiefs. But it's also going to be a little bit more difficult for him, too, because Jalen Hurts is a lot more mobile than Joe Burrow. That is true. And plus, they're going up against the number one offensive line in NFL. Mm-hmm. With you got, I think there was like three or four first-team All-Pros on that Eagles O-line, which is insane. 
Yeah, absolutely insane. And the Chiefs' offensive line is pretty solid. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're pretty solid, too. So both pass-rushing groups are going to have difficulty getting to the quarterback. And quite honestly, that could be a difference maker as to whoever gets to the quarterback the most is going to come out on top. Yeah. And I think both of these teams need to really be emphasizing their pass rush, need to find ways to get more creative with it and sneak a little something extra in there. I mean, I'm not saying go out there and utilize a defensive version of the snow globe, but, I mean, you got to find something to get a little bit creative and sprinkle something in new so that you can catch your opposition off guard. Glad you mentioned something that I saw something last night. It was... So you know how Phillies, like like when they were in the Super, they like the Philly special yeah. and stuff with Nick Foles. Apparently, I don't know, I don't know if they'll do this or not. I'm hoping they do because you know everyone's calling it the Kelsey Bowl. Mm-hmm. Look out for possibly Jason Kelsey to get a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe if Nick Sirianni wants wow. to fool some people, maybe like they're inside like the five yard line or something. Have Kelsey line up at fullback maybe or something. Or put him in motion, put him out, and get a nice little touchdown pass or something. Could you imagine the the way that this social media and everything would blow up if Jason Kelsey cut a touchdown pass? You bring in your backup center for one play and have Jason Kelsey catch a touchdown pass? That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not even – that. the thought of it doesn't even – Seem real, but like you said, you wouldn't expect it. Did anyone expect when Philadelphia ran the Philly special against the Patriots, did they expect Nick Foles to catch a touchdown pass? No. No. No one was expecting that. That just looked like a traditional wildcat. Yeah, and look, it worked. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sirianni dialed some stuff up, throwing some little Mm -hmm. curveballs in there. I mean, I'm not saying Kelsey's definitely going to get one, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised. They just want to throw some stuff out there. But at the same time, though, I mean – with the Philly special, like I said, that looked just like a typical Wildcat yeah. play. So it was a little bit more deceiving in the aspect that you didn't know, even though it was a Wildcat, you didn't know necessarily where the ball was going to go. If you see a team starting center lining up as a fullback, then that that's going to raise a little bit more questions. And, yeah. uh, oh, is that where the ball's going kind of thing. But I wouldn't be surprised. So we'll see. I mean, we've seen, we've seen a lot of crazy things. Nobody thought... Tom Brady was going to be able to come back from being down 28-3. to I mean, it's the Super Bowl. Like you said, anything can happen. Yeah. And I just, honestly, there's so much, unex- so much that can happen that is going to be unexpected. I mean, you can't even really put it into words because there's no clear favorite in the Super Bowl. You can make a case for both teams. To go out on top. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty split on the who's going to win this Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of leaning toward the Eagles just because I'm a Broncos fan. I don't want anyone in my division to win a Super Bowl. So I'm running mm-hmm. with the Eagles. But I mean, I'm slightly leaning towards the Eagles as well, simply just because I think that the Eagles have a lot better of a – I don't want to say a lot better of a team, but their team is in a way – more united, especially when you look at the run game. Miles Sanders is a lot better of a running back than Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon. So I think the run game may have a big impact on I mean, Eagles, this game. Eagles are one of the best, the best run first team in the league. So you got Miles Sanders, who's a Pro Bowler, Jalen Hurts, 
Mm-hmm. You got um, Keith Gainwell, Boston Scott, and like just those four alone. I mean, they could <clears throat> they could torch defenses if you don't yeah. if they don't account for them. And then plus, if they want to fully convert to the run, they got two number one receivers outside: AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. So pick your poison, Kansas City. What do you want to What do you want to try and shut down yeah. more? The run or try and force Jalen to pass more? Mm-hmm. Are you going to stack the box and leave AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and one on one coverage, or are you going to back off a little bit and maybe concede five yards a carry? I mean, like you said, you'd have to be pretty stupid to leave AJ Brown and Devontae Smith in one on one coverage. They've been like this entire season. They've been the most man on man pressed receivers in the league. Kansas City? No. I mean, just in general. Devontae oh. Smith and A.J. Brown have been the most pressed this entire year, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah. It's almost like you said, like, they're daring Hurts to throw the ball. I wouldn't do that, dude. People don't think Jalen Hurts has a great arm. The man threw for 3,700 yards mm-hmm. and had 22 touchdowns and six picks. So, I mean... I mean, there were some questions about him coming into the season. I had no... But... No, no questions about him at all. Because I saw him play at Bama. He could throw the ball in Bama. Oh, can he transition to the NFL? Oh, can he do that? Yes, he can. But how many guys can throw the ball well in college, though, and then they can't do it in the NFL? I mean, anyone, well, I wouldn't say it's hard to throw. Because, I mean, anyone can throw in the mm-hmm. NFL. Anyone. Because, I mean, look, you got people like um, Josh, Josh Josh Johnson. He can throw. But yeah. He's not that great. Mason Rudolph can throw a football pretty well. Drew Locke, who's my favorite QB, he can throw a football long as heck. And, like, Zach Wilson, too. Why do you think he went number two overall? Because of his arm. Mm-hmm. That was it. So, I'd say, I mean, Jalen has one of the, I think, one of the best yeah. deep balls this year he was throwing. So, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking more specifically, and I know it's a difference between the SEC and the Big Ten, but look at how many elite quarterbacks Ohio State has had coming out of college, and then they get to the NFL, and they're a bust. Not many. That's why I don't like, I'm not a huge fan of Ohio State QBs. Because you can't name me one good QB besides Justin Fields, but the jury's still out on him passing because he hasn't really passed the ball well. He can run the ball phenomenally, but passing? Mm. But they all do well at Ohio State. Oh, yeah. And that's my my point. Braxton Miller, receiver. Yep. Who else we got? JT Barrett, not even in the league. Cardell Jones, not in the league. Was in the league for a little bit, gone. Who else was in the league? When he was in the league and... Before he tragically passed away, I mean Haskins wasn't anything major in the NFL either. No. I mean Ohio State has a very good track record of having good, good, stable college QBs, and once they get the NFL, terrible. Now let me ask you this: <clears throat> I know he obviously transferred, but does Joe, does Joe Burrow get thrown in with Ohio State quarterbacks? No, no. he is not. He is really, not. he didn't play. He played two full years at LSU. Ohio State, what, he played, what, maybe one or two games? Maybe. But he graduated. Yeah, mm-hmm. he graduated from there, but I don't care if you graduated with him. He also graduated from LSU. Yeah. So, I mean, what, who, who, what are we going to remember him for? The years at Ohio State or LSU? Oh, you're going to remember him for the years uh, exactly, at LSU. Because he had one of the probably, probably the best college career just for one year. Mm-hmm. So, so if you take that year out of the equation, then – what do you remember him for? LSU's, though, because he's still, the year before, he went to a New Year's Six Bowl with LSU. Mm-hmm. That's the year UCF, that dude from UCF absolutely depleted 
Joe Bird. I thought he died for a second. He wasn't moving. And he got back up from that hit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dang, this dude's going yeah. to be dangerous next year, dude. But I mean, I agree. I think you throw him in with the LSU. I just wanted to wanted to get your thoughts. Because I, know, I know the fans say, oh, he's from Ohio State. You got to include Jim. No, I don't. What did he do for y'all? What, mm-hmm. what significance did he do for your team or anything? Nothing. How do you think Urban Meyer feels about the fact that he had benched Joe Burrow at Ohio State and then let him walk to go to LSU? I mean, they just let, what, JT Barrett play for like six years? Pretty much. Something along those lines. like five, six years, it feels like. Seems like he'd never leave Ohio State. But, I mean, at the time, I mean, Justin, I mean, I said Justin too. JT Barrett, I mean, he was playing good, but I still thought Burrow was better. It's just he thought JT Barrett was the better better dude to help him get some wins, and that's from that. I mean, I bet that kicks him in the butt a couple of times because if he would have kept – if Joe Burrow would have been able to start and y'all would have got some production out of him, mm-hmm. I mean, they could have won maybe another national championship possibly. Yeah. And I know this this is a little bit off topic as well, but you talked about, you know, um, JT Barrett seemed like he never is going to leave Ohio State. Who's going to leave the Big Ten first, Barrett from Ohio State or Sean Clifford at Penn State? Because Sean Clifford feels like he's been there forever oh, he's as done, well. He's done this year. This is last year. I mean, I knew it was his last year. I was just hypothetically because he, he, it seemed like he was at Penn State for seven years. Yeah, it did seem like that. It did. But, I mean, I'd say Clifford more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like – He's been there forever since, like, McSorley got, went to the NFL. It was just Clifford, yeah. Clifford, Clifford, Clifford. I'm like, my goodness, dude, when are we going to get a new Q- When are y'all going to get a new QB? Uh, the legendary meme of Trace McSorley. Greatest college QB ever. So then, <laughs> getting back to the Super Bowl, you wanted to talk a little bit about some people putting some money on this game. Yeah, so um, if y'all are betting on this game, which, I mean, bet responsibly, please, in, like, states that do, like West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and m- please make sure you're 21, too, please. <laughs> don't condone illegal gambling. We don't condone it on this show or ever. So, so if you are over, if you are legal age to gamble, some interesting stuff you should see here. The over-under is 51. I would absolutely hammer going the over. I think both teams are going to get 30 points each. And I think it's like that. Um, the spread for both teams, Eagles minus one and a half. Chiefs is plus one, one, one and a half. Money line, 125. Eagles plus 105. Chiefs. And then there are a lot of rumblings coming out of like Twitter and other like, like Fandle and everything like that saying that um, Juju a would put a good bit of money on Juju to get the first touchdown scored in that game. And I know we talked about that before we started this segment. I just can't get over like the fact that, that he would be the one from Kansas City. And don't get me wrong, from his time in Pittsburgh, I I really like Juju as a player, but you didn't I like can't the see TikTok him. TikTok stuff or nothing. What's it? You like the TikTok stuff. Oh, well, no. As the as a player, yeah. I liked him. As a person off the field, what he did in the community, I liked him. But I can't see him being the one to catch the first touchdown. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, because you got to think they're going to try and get most of their attention on Kelsey, obviously, MVS, because MVS has been balling the last couple of weeks, and Pacheco and McKinnon, and trying to contain Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, 
we were probably going to get matched up. I mean, probably Vontae Maddox, maybe, or Jalen Mills will be guarding Juju. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Juju does get the first touchdown because McCole Hardman is not playing. Jarius Sneed's questionable. And then Tony is questionable to play. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Chiefs might be down some weapons. So, are, <clears throat> now the question then is, are you talking about first Chiefs touchdown or first, first touchdown Chiefs, of the first game? First Chiefs touchdown. Mm-hmm. First touchdown score, I think it's going to be, overall, I think it's going to be, oh, let's say Jalen Hurts. QB sneak? Yep. QB run. I could see it. QB run. It's going to be a rushing touchdown first for the Eagles, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could completely see it. I wouldn't be surprised if that was ultimately how it happened. I think that's something that can arguably be made, and that's part of the reason why, you know, like I said, whether it's betting, whether it's just looking at this game in general, there's so many different ways that this game can go. Personally, I think the running backs are going to be involved a little bit, but for the most part, I think it's going to be a passing game shootout. You're going to have Mahomes and Hurts airing the ball out, and it's going to become an issue, become a debate, rather, of which team is good enough to stop the opposing quarterback. So then, now my question for you, Dylan, is what is what do you see being more likely to happen? The Eagles stopping Mahomes or the Chiefs stopping Jalen Hurts? I think, honestly, I think the Eagles are going to be able to kind of contain Mahomes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes is still going to do what Mahomes does. Yeah. But as long as the Eagles can apply some pressure with that deep front seven they got, with Hassan Reddick, Robert Quinn, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, did I say Robert Quinn already? I don't know. Robert you, Quinn. Um, Javon Hargrave. Javon Hargrave. Oh, I forgot about Hargrave. And then you've got N'Kobe Dean in the middle. He's mm-hmm. a dog. I mean, yeah, their, their front seven's absolutely loaded. I mean, going up against that Chiefs O-line, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see because the Chiefs spent a boatload of money on that O-line to protect Mahomes. Mm-hmm. But I do think the Chiefs are going to be able to, or not the Chiefs, the Eagles are going to be able to kind of contain Mahomes just a little bit because I don't think with the Eagles' O-line, I don't think the Chiefs are going to get much pressure at all mm-hmm. against Jalen Hurts. I think Hurts will have a lot more time in the pocket and everything. But, yeah, I think Eagles' defense, I mean, the de- defense wins championships. That is historically known for every single sport ever. Absolutely. Defense wins championships. So then, last point here, we'll both present what we think. We'll talk about this next week when we kind of recap everything. Score prediction for the Super Bowl. Well, I'm going to go 37-34 Eagles. 37-34 or 34-31, one of those two. Which one? 37-34. Go with your gut. I like it. And for me, I'm sticking with the Eagles as well. A little bit less of a of a. Less points. I'm going 28-24 Eagles. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm. I can very much see this game coming down to the wire. Philly's going to get the ball probably right around three. Whoever has the ball last is going to win the game. Philly's going to get the ball back with about three and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and Jalen Hurts is going to throw a touchdown pass as time expires. And I'll even (laughs) – I'll go out on a limb. You know what? Let's say it. 
Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith with win the Super Bowl. Very little time remaining to win the Super Bowl yes. for the Eagles. I will go out on the air and say that 28-24 Eagles hurts to Smith as the final touchdown. And again, don't go out there and bet on it because if it happen, it doesn't happen, you can't come crying back to us and say we told you to do it because all we did was present some odds, give our opinions, and let you do with it as you will. You've been listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. Thank you all for tuning in here on this Friday afternoon. Be sure to... Stick around next Friday for the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Pittsburgh Pirates, and more. Have a great weekend, everyone.